Well, good morning. As Jay said, my name is Jack, but as I heard from a number of you this morning, some people know me as the Jonah guy. Uh, as long as you know that I'm not Jonah, but I am blessed to be known to preach through this book of God's Word. Uh, my wife and I, Sarah, it's really been a pleasure to come preach here. I've been asked by uh, many churches in our presbytery to preach, and I haven't had time for most of them, but I really have loved making time for this church because I've loved getting to know you all. So thank you, Jay. Thank you to the elders of this church for having me. So if you will, we are in my fourth sermon through the book of Jonah. Please open your copy of God's Word to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. This is the Word of God. Then the Word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these these wonderful stories in your Old Testament, Lord. And we know that these stories were written for our encouragement, that through the, the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and help us to understand wonderful things from your law. And Lord, I pray that you would bless what I have to say. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. I ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. There are a few things more wonderful to experience in life than a changed heart. Watching somebody be humbled, broken over their sin. I still remember the first time that I was able to lead somebody to believe in the Lord Christ. I was staffing with a camp called Worldview Academy. It's a Christian apologetics camp that I went to when I was in high school. And we went all across the United States for different weeks, and I was in Illinois. I'll never forget it. I got lunch with one of my students. He was in ninth grade. And over the course of talking about it and talking with him, I realized that he would not call himself a Christian. That's just not where he was. And I remember I gave probably one of the worst gospel presentations I ever gave. I was sitting there thinking like I was sounding like a fool. And then I asked him, do you believe in the Lord Christ? Do you trust in this gospel? 
And he looked at me and said, yes. That was not my work. That was the work of God softening someone's heart. And yet in Christian circles and churches, so often if we are around people who live like this, we can grow dull to how much of a gift that is. Because in the New Testament, the way the scriptures talk about repentance, it's a gift. Being broken over your sinfulness is a gift from on high. And we dare take it lightly sometimes. So, Because so often we take it lightly, and yet texts like this help wake us up to how beautiful of a gift repentance is. So it's my prayer this morning that we would learn to respond to God's word rightly and to run from our sin and cling to God's mercy and to learn just how rich the mercy of God really is. So please pray with me one more time before we start walking through this text. Heavenly Father, it is my prayer that our hearts would be broken again and again over our sin. Some here maybe for the first time, but Lord, everyone here, may it not be for the last time. Teach us to rend our hearts and not our garments. Because we know, Lord, that a broken and a contrite spirit you will not despise. I pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen. So just as a little bit of a recap in the broader story of Jonah. You probably know it well. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel to them. Preach repentance. And guess what? He said no. He went the other way. And I spent a whole sermon talking about why he shouldn't have done that and how kind it was for the Lord to chase him down. And then the entirety of chapter 2 of Jonah is him in the belly of the whale, calling out to God. And it's perhaps in that chapter in this one that we see the best of Jonah. Because his story gets a little worse in the last chapter of this book. But that is where we are. And you'll see that we have four principal parts in our passage today. We have the recommissioning of Jonah. We have the preaching of Jonah. We have the response of Nineveh, and then we have the mercy of God. So let's start off with verses 1 through 2, the recommissioning of Jonah. Notice it says here right at the beginning that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And the, the phrasing here is identical to the beginning of the book. God says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the word that I will give to you. Once again. The wording here is identical. Jonah is getting a second chance, which should strike us as abnormal because God doesn't always give people second chances. Perhaps maybe in your life, when you were growing up or you've heard stories of people who were given dramatic second chances that change the way they think about the world. A story that comes to my mind is the famous preacher John Wesley who founded the Methodist Church in the 1700s in Great Britain. One thing that shook his life profoundly is when he was a young boy, I think between five and seven, his house caught fire. And all of the kids were rushed out in safety, and he he was the last one in the second story. And the way he recounts it is that the fire people, the firemen, pulled him out just as the flames tore the house down. And he never forgot that. He never forgot the fact that God gave him a second chance. And that's what the Lord is doing here with Jonah. God's mercy is written throughout the life of his people from beginning to end. We just need to have the eyes to see it. 
We just need to have the eyes to see it. I was even talking to Jay this morning. <laughs> Jay's car broke down in the Burger King drive through How much of a mercy is it that that happened in a calm as a place as a drive through The Lord's mercy is on you, whether or not we recognize it. So I pray that we would be thankful and recognize the Lord's hand in our lives. So God recommissions Jonah. He gives him a second chance. And then we see what his preaching is, the message of Jonah in verses 3 to 4. Verse 3 says, Jonah arose, he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord, and Nineveh was a great city, and then Jonah begins to preach his message. But notice here the difference between chapter 1 Jonah and chapter 3 Jonah. What's the big difference? He actually does what he's told to do. This right here is the sign of a man who has matured. He's been disciplined. Perhaps you've seen this play out in the life of maybe a young child. I've had the pleasure of watching my older brother be a wonderful dad. And I remember when, his, when my nephew, his oldest son, when he was young, I can't remember the details, but I think my brother told him not to touch something. And of course, what, what did my nephew want to do? He was like two. He wanted to touch it. So he did it when my brother told him not to, and he got punished. He got disciplined. And then he went to do it again, and I saw that look in his eyes, that crazed, like, I have to do this. But he went for it, and something clicked. He remembered the discipline, and he didn't do it. He backed away. That's kind of what we're seeing play out in Jonah's heart. We're seeing that discipline has made him a more humble man, more quick to listen the Lord. But also, remember this. God loved Jonah enough to discipline him. God loved Jonah enough to chase him in chapter 2. Remember, the worst thing God could have done was nothing. Let Jonah have his way, get all the way to Tarshish, and then completely forget about his mission. But God said, no, you will listen to me. This is, might be hard to hear in our current culture. We live in a world that loves to say that the most merciful thing that parents can do to children is nothing. Let a kid do what they want, right? Because if you intervene, then you might be too harsh and you might hurt them. There's some truth in that, but here we see the way that the Lord interacts with his children. He loves them enough to chase them and discipline them. It reminds me of a few verses from Proverbs, like, folly is in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from them. Is that not true with your own life as a Christian? It takes the hardships in life to teach us to really treasure the gospel, to really listen to the Lord, because God knew Jonah. Jonah would have responded to nothing less than being swallowed by a whale. And that's exactly what God did to him. Think about your own life, right? Sometimes it takes hindsight to be able to um, understand this. But as Christians, shouldn't we be grateful for the ways that the Lord has treated us, especially the hard times? So often it's the hard times, it's the trials in life that show us how true the gospel is and how much we need a Savior. So there's so much going on in Jonah's heart right here that we're really going to see play out in the next chapter. But let's keep going. 
So Jonah gets to Nineveh, and notice the words of how Nineveh is responded. It says it's an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breadth. So this is a little bit larger than downtown Greenville, right? This is a long, very wide, very large city with hundreds of thousands of people in it. This is a gigantic city for the ancient world. And you might see at the bottom of your Bible a little footnote uh, where it says that one of those phrases could be translated that Nineveh is a great city to God. Because there are so many people in this city, it matters to the Lord. The city of Nineveh is filled with souls. So really, Nineveh is a great city, not just in the eyes of man. It's a great city in the eyes of God. Because eternity is at stake for many of these people. But now we come to the meat, really, of this passage this morning. Jonah's sermon. This, the Hebrew word here for when Jonah starts preaching means to announce or to call or to proclaim. And the New Testament uses the same kind of word for the phrase preaching. The preaching of the message. And so in order to understand what Jonah is doing here, let me ask a question. What is preaching? Why do church services always have a sermon which is preaching? Think about it. Nearly every Protestant tradition, Baptist, Presbyterian, Anglican, Lutheran, Methodist, they all dedicate a large portion of their service to preaching. Why is that? What is preaching? Is it a lecture? Is it someone simply standing up and telling you things that you don't know from the Bible? Or is preaching telling you how to live your life? Proclaiming to you how the Lord expects you to live? To some extent, it is a mix of both. It is both teaching and instruction. Let's look at how this passage teaches us what preaching is. Notice how short and simple Jonah's message is. It's very blunt. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Nineveh will be gone. There's no intro. There's no fancy illustration, right? There's so little here. All it is saying is God has seen your sin and he will respond. Your time is short. The clock is ticking. The hourglass is running out. And and remember, this is not something Jonah made up. God said, proclaim the message that I will give to you. Perhaps there was more to it than this, but it definitively, this was the message. This was the essence of it. So what do we learn from this about preaching? And this matters to you because you all are here on a Sunday hearing preaching. And Lord willing, you'll be here next Sunday and hear preaching. What do we learn about preaching? Preaching is not a discussion. That's one thing we learn here. Preaching is not a roundtable panel with back and forth. It's not a big Q&A session with dialogue. Preaching is nothing less than God's words being proclaimed through the mouth of an appointed messenger. Jonah here is proclaiming publicly the very words that God gave to him. So what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you and me? It means that when a pastor... When a man unfolds for you God's word in a faithful way, you should listen to him as if God himself was speaking to you. Listen to how Paul describes this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He's talking to this church and he says, We thank God constantly 
for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. That's preaching. This is preaching. Seeing a man who's unfolding the words of the scriptures and hearing them as the words of God himself. I see a lot of kids in this room. One thing I love about coming here is how lively uh, this church is and how family-friendly it is. Kids, every single Sunday, you want to know who stands up here and talks to you about the Bible? Pastor Jay, right? He's great at it. He's done a lot of work to do it well. This means when Pastor Jay opens the Bible to you, you need to listen to him because it's the words of God from the Scriptures. Pastor Jay prays over probably weeps over and ponders over everything that he says. And there's nothing better, kids, than you can do than listen to his words more than anything else you listen to. There's lots of TV shows, lots of teachers, lots of things that you hear. Listen to your Pastor Jay when he talks to you. I love the way that our catechism explains the essence of preaching. Question 89 in the Westminster Catechism says... The question is, how is the word made effectual for salvation? This is the answer. The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching, of the word an effectual means of converting sinners. And this word preacher, used here to describe Jonah, it it has a lot of historical context to it. Think of it. In the ancient world, say a king was going to come visit one of his cities. He wouldn't just show up unannounced. He's the king. No, he would send a herald, a preacher, same word, ahead into the city who would say, hear ye, hear ye, the king is coming, right? It's a fact, and guess what? You better get ready for the king to come. That's the word that is used to describe preachers. They're heralds. They're here to proclaim to you God's word so that we can live accordingly. A couple other interesting points about Jonah's sermon here. Notice what it does have, which is something that a lot of our sermons don't. Jonah has a definitive timeline to his sermon, right? He says, guess what, Nineveh? You got 40 days and the clock is ticking. We don't really have sermons like that because we don't know when Jesus is returning. Nineveh had a very definitive timeline of response, which is interesting. We don't have that in our messages nowadays. But Jonah's sermon is also lacking something that most of your sermons today usually have. Notice in Jonah's sermon, there's no promise of mercy. There's no invitation to repent. All Jonah says is, hey, guess what? In 40 days, God is going to destroy your city. Which should make the response of the Ninevites all the more incredible. They didn't have someone say, but if you turn from your sins, the Lord of the heavens will show you mercy. They didn't have that. And they still turned. How much more should you and I run back to the cross again and again with the promise of mercy that we have? Just think about how similar Jonah's message is to the message of the gospel today. For Jonah, he was saying to Nineveh, God sees your wickedness. Who knows the things that this city was doing? Jonah is saying, God sees your wickedness. He is taking account. You have not escaped his eye, and judgment is coming. For us, 
God sees the sin in this world, and he sees your very hearts. The Lord knows your deepest thoughts. His extraordinary mercy has stayed his hand until this day. But guess what? You and I are not guaranteed tomorrow. Surely some of you here have hidden an unconfessed sin. Things that you've just like put into the back burner because you can handle that tomorrow. Well, guess what? The Lord calls you to handle it today. Turn from your sin. Believe in the word of God. God doesn't want you to just clean your life up. He doesn't just want your church attendance. He doesn't just want you to read your Bible more. He wants a heart that is broken over sin. He wants a people who weep over the fact that we don't worship him the way we ought. And how often is this message despised? By me as well, right? This message is for all of us. Think of... Nineveh responds rationally to this sermon. We so often respond irrationally to the word of God. Just think about a few different ways to go about this. Say you had a message from your boss that says, guess what, in 30 days you're fired. How would you respond? Would you just take it? Probably not. Say you got a message about your house or an email or a letter that says, guess what, 30 days we're taking your house away from you. We would be broken. Or say you got a message from your spouse that says, if this doesn't change, I'm leaving you. Our lives would be overturned in a moment. And yet the God of heaven shouts at us every day through a scripture. The judgment is coming. Hide in the cross. And we have better things to think about so often. This is humbling to me as well. We need to treasure the gift of repentance that God gives us. So how should you respond to godly preaching? Let's turn to the most ungodly city in the world and take a lesson on that. So we see the response of Nineveh, starting in verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne He removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, he sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation. And go on to the end where he says, Let everyone turn from his evil way, and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent, and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The Ninevites respond in two ways, which is what you and I need to take note of. They have faith, and they repent. They believe, and they turn from their sin, which is two sides of the same coin. So just look at this first line right here. The people of Nineveh believed God. Wow. The people of Nineveh believed God. Jonah probably was going there thinking, yes, Lord, I'll do this. I've been speaking to the people of Israel my whole life, and most of them don't care. So I'll go speak to this town for 40 days and then go right back home. And then instantly, their hearts are broken. Every single one of them. This is a proper response to godly preaching. It's not primarily an outward act that we do. It's in our hearts hearing the word of the Lord and saying, yes, this is true. And I need this. 
I love the song that we sang earlier, And Can It Be, written by Charles Wesley, brother of John Wesley. It starts off, And can it be that I could gain, should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me, who caused his pain, for me, who him to death pursued. There's that feeling of belief, of, of agreeing with the judgment of the Lord. Yes, I'm a sinner. I agree with you. And this is where the Ninevites are at. And all other responses to the gospel need to flow from this one. We can get the order mixed up a lot. Thinking, oh man, I, I wish I hadn't said that thing. I'm going to read my Bible more tomorrow. Right response, but we need to start with the heart. This is why the prophet Joel, he tells the people of Israel, he's, don't, don't tear up your garments. Tear up your heart. Be broken over what you did and then let that lead you to right actions. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. But with faith, you'll always please God, which is a beautiful message. So let's learn from the Ninevites. They listened and they believed. Number two, they also repented. They didn't just believe. It led to outward action. In the same way that a good tree has to grow and it has to bear good fruit, true faith has to lead to repentance. It must. Look at the things that they did. They called a fast. They said, we are not going to eat anything. Neither are we going to drink anything. And they had a little bit of overkill because they said, guess what, you cows? You're not going to eat or drink anything either. So a little bit of overkill, but they were in a little bit of a, uh, a tough situation, you might say. Not only that, they put on sackcloth. This would be like wearing the most uncomfortable blanket in your house, right? This would have been the modern equivalent of mourning clothes. Like No one wears pink to a funeral. No one puts on a big white dress to a cemetery. This is what they're doing. They're letting their clothes show the state of their hearts. But remember, they did this because they believed in God. And I love the book of Jonah. It's, a, it's big on the details. Look at the details of this. You might be thinking, uh, maybe most of the people responded this way, but there's no way all of them did. Well, guess what? It zooms in on the king, the man. And it says that he took off his robe, he sat in ashes, and he told everybody else to respond the same way. Last year, my mother gave me this little, uh, for Christmas, this little family worship guide book edited by Joel Beakey, which has been fantastic. I've read through it a a little bit in the past week. And in the beginning, he was telling the story of how he grew up with family worship in his own house. And he recounted how one of the most powerful experiences he had as a child was watching his father cry during their family worship. Watching his father be broken over his sin. Watching his father weep over the thought of not going into heaven with his children. And he said those were the moments that impacted him the most. Because he's seeing the leader of their family respond in a very strange way. Think of what it was like for the Ninevites to see their king humble himself. And why do they do this? Because he says, who knows, maybe God will show us mercy. They didn't even have the promise of mercy. And Nineveh was broken. 
How much more should we turn in our sin having the confidence that God will forgive you if you come to the cross? This is one reason why evangelizing to non-Christians is always challenging to me. Because sometimes preaching the word to people who have been in churches their whole life, I can become dull to the power of God's word. But it takes those moments, like the moment that I had with that student in Illinois, that wake us up to the fact that God's word gives life. It gives life. Just because it doesn't give life every single time in the same way does not mean that it is not powerful. Because preaching, more than anything, saves sinners. So I urge you, continue coming faithfully to church. We live in a world that despises the church, looks down on preaching. But guess what? There have been preachers in God's church since the beginning of time. The New Testament calls Noah a preacher. He was building this boat and then preaching to the world on the side. So be faithful. Bring your kids to church. Hearing the godly preaching from Pastor Jay is always worth your time. And interestingly, Jesus speaks well of the Ninevites. In Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus is condemning the people in Israel of his day, in Matthew 12, 41, he says this. He says, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. May that be true of the village church. May the village church be known as a church that is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Now we come to the final verse of this text. Chapter 3, verse 10, which shows us in all of its beauty the mercy of God. God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Literally, this word saying God relented is the same word often used to say repented. He turned from it. Now, we know God never changes. Our God is the same always, and yet he he presented himself to Nineveh as if this destruction was absolutely sure. But then at the sight of their repentance, at the sight of their broken hearts, which he knew he was going to bring about, the Lord turned from the disaster. Our God loves to show mercy. Our God loves to show mercy. And I submit to you that more more people in this world don't accept the gospel because they misunderstand God's great love more than misunderstanding his justice. There's a reason why when Moses came to the Lord in Exodus on Mount Sinai and he said, God, show me your glory. Show me who you are. And the Lord responded with, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Our God loves to show mercy. It is a part of his very character. And I've said this many times and I'll say it again. The Ninevites trusted in the mercy of a God who only promised them destruction. You and I serve a God who promises eternal life and forgiveness if you turn to him. How much more should we be eager? Let us learn from Nineveh. Repent of your sin. A greater judgment is coming upon this world than the one that Nineveh 
proclaimed. And perhaps you need to hear that this morning. That our God is a God of second chances. He is eager to show mercy to those who are humble. And think of it this way. If the wicked city of Nineveh can be saved, surely you can. Surely that family member who is wandering away can be saved. Surely your child can be saved. Surely anyone can be saved. Because one greater than Jonah preaches to you today, and it's not me, and it's not Jay. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And he doesn't just say judgment is coming. He says, mercy is here. Hide in the shadow of the cross, and none of the anger of the Lord will ever be known to you. Rather, he says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Trust in the mercy of God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, this text is rich, it is deep, and Lord, it cuts us to the heart. Lord, I pray that we may meditate on this. Lord, may we not just be hearers of your word, may we be doers of your word. And Lord, whatever sin that is clinging to us so tightly, for anyone here, Lord, please teach us to run from it, to forsake it, and cling to the mercy of Jesus. For he offers us all things if we turn from our sin. Lord, I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.